By the way, whatever is going on with your camera, Chris, your face is smooth like a baby's bottom. What's going on there? No, that's my face. Yeah, what is, what is my it? Face. Why are you talking about the camera? That's just what I look like. So there it is. Uh, you're there right. it is, America. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Outrageous, our bi-weekly podcast where we talk about race, media, culture, politics, and everything in between. My name is Chris. I'm in New York City, and I'm joined by my very best friends, Trisha in LA. Hello. And Jason in DC. Bonsoir. Okay. <laughs> so right off the bat, Jason, I have notes immediately. What? <laughs> Bonsoir. I'm Get out of here. I'm always trying to change it up, and I have trouble thinking of things. That's what came up. You don't have to change it up. It's fine. I mean, mine is always like a bell. Ding dong. Yeah. Hello. And yours is always like, what's up? <laughs> I'm sure. And sometimes I say, hey there, and I just get tired of it. Okay. All right. So th- this is already thrilling. Hello, everyone. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I wanted to ask you, th- we're in the midst of the holiday corridor, right? And I am coming out of the closet as a curmudgeon. I'm just, I'm ready. Like, give me a lawn chair, a rake, and I will chase children off my lawn. I'm ready were you to go. In the, were you in the closet as a curmudgeon? <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> next, you're going to come out of the closet and tell us you're gay. I don't know what, like, what's going to happen next. Oh, God. It's so true. On the shady ass shit. Okay. It must be true because both of your best friends agree. <laughs> Okay, fine. I was Maybe so I was curious not... how you were going to end that sentence. Like, I was coming out of the closet as you've already come out of the closet and the curmudgeon. Like, <laughs> okay. My point was before I was so rudely double teamed. Uh-huh. Is uh, I'm I'm kind of sick of these winter holidays, like Thanksgiving and Christmas. Hear me out. Every other odd years we do Christmas or winter festivals, whatever you're into, and then even years you do Thanksgiving, huh? Huh? Oh, what? What's? Wait a minute. You know what? You speak like a man that doesn't have a job. These are life-saving moments when you have jobs. <laughs> Those two days of Thanksgiving is fantastic. Cuts the week up really brilliantly, and then Christmas Listen, a break all in all in one. No. If you're a student, you have to go home twice in three weeks. Right? Does that. I don't live near my family. I'm on a plane continuously in November and December. Right? continuously and like not for nothing the week between christmas and new year's no one gets anything done anyway you're you're dizzy you're full up you're full up of like cheese and chocolate and other things that you don't normally eat it's a waste of time like let's just cut it up i would be fine with christmas every other year then i could get excited about it i feel like it rolls around so fast are you auditioning for a modern version of a christmas carol i (laughs) i know (laughs) (laughs) i mean honestly i don't know how much I'm more ridiculous you could be. So sorry. So sorry you have family to go visit, Chris. So <laughs> sorry you have the money to get on a plane and visit family. Poor <laughs> you. You know what? It reminds me of the Curb Your, the Curb Your Enthusiasm episode when Larry's like, we were invited to a bar mitzvah. Can you imagine anything worse? <laughs> Lots of food. Oh my goodness. Your life is just so hard, Chris. I am so, so sorry. I mean, it's also presumptuous. Uh, most people are making a decision whether they go for Christmas or Thanksgiving. And most people don't go home for Thanksgiving. People do Friendsgiving. If People in cities. If yeah. you did it my way and you did every other, everyone could do everything. Like, this year it's Thanksgiving. Great. Next year it's Christmas. Great. You're solving a problem we don't have. Let's that, move on. Well, and Chris, you have complete autonomy to live your life that way. No one's forcing you to go anywhere for both holidays. You know what? You're right. This year, I'm canceling Christmas for me. We're talking to a guy who changed his birthday. I feel like you can cancel one of the holidays every other year. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Just just so people know, I changed my birthday. Why? Because birthdays are a social construction, right? And what's more, in this day of people stealing your data, I don't know why you want to throw out your age and your birthday so people can get your birth date. With your birth date and your full name and a little bit of charm, you can get bank account numbers. It's true. That's true. So no one needs to know, you know when your what? birthday People is. You can get your bank account number. It doesn't matter. They can't do anything with it. Um, It depends. 
I once took a private detective class, hear me out. And it was like a whole list of things, like how much data you needed to get other pieces of data. And Mm -hmm. then with those pieces of data, how you can get other pieces of data. And with those pieces of data, how you can steal someone's identity. And it all starts with your name and your birth date. Name Uh, and birth date, you get address. Name, birth date, and address, you can get public records. With public records and all that information, you can get the bank stuff and then social security stuff. And then it's crazy. It's really crazy. How do we still not have Trump's tax return after all this? I don't know. I know. I mean, I I, I don't believe that. That's a whole thing. That's a whole damn thing. Speaking of Trump, not related at all, but we were talking about this briefly. You guys not Saturday Night Live watchers? No. I I watch skits on YouTube every night. I don't enjoy them, but I watch them. What, what the fuck? What? Is it homework? <laughs> I, I keep wanting it to be funny. Like they have great people hosting. I think a lot of the cast members are very talented. I just find it so rare that I actually laugh. And I keep wanting it to be funny. I think the last skit I found, well, no, that, that what I was about. There, there have been a couple of funny ones. I was, I was thinking about the. Um, I don't know if you saw the Shrek with Sterling Sterling Brown. I did see that episode. I don't remember the skit you're talking about. He goes nuts because his fiance's parents say that Coco is the best animated movie ever, and he's adamant that Shrek is the best animated movie oh, ever. That's yes, the last funny one I saw. Now that was hilarious. So I keep wanting to experience that again. I thought it was hilarious. Listen, this season I've been disappointed, not because of the comedy, but because of everything surrounding the comedy. Like the people on the show have been making the news, and I think that's really just disruptive to what they're doing. Pete Davidson had been uh, engaged to Ariana Grande and they broke up because of course they did. They met, they were engaged two weeks later and they were together for like four months or something stupid like that. They're young, whatever, right? First of all, the the season premiere, they were still together and there were like three jokes in that episode about about Ariana Grande, about either like how Pete Davidson was so lucky or how she was so hot. And it made me really uncomfortable. She was not present. Like she was supposed to be the musical host, but she wasn't. And it was just weird to talk about her in that way when she wasn't there, like she was an object. So then the next week they broke up, probably not over that. Uh, And I I just thought that entire thing was handled very poorly. Then Pete Davidson again made a joke about Dan Crenshaw, who was a Republican running for, mm, whoops, I don't know. He was running for something. (laughs) And he's (laughs) he's got an eye patch. Like he made some joke about him. Uh, he's running for house, by the way. I just don't remember where. Then, like the next week, they had Dan Crenshaw on, and like there was like a whole apology because he was a veteran and he lost his eye and like a thing. I don't know. I guess I just want to bring it up because I just so much of our politics has intersects with comedy, and I realized like in watching that interaction with Dan Crenshaw and that there was a line that was crossed so much that they had to have him on the show to apologize to him. I realized that I don't know where the line is with comedy and politics. Like when it comes to like John Oliver and that other Indian guy who's doing this now and the the rest of them who have those shows, what exactly is the line? Like when do you cross it? When is it too much? You, you know what? That's a great question. You know what I find so interesting about that? I remember when Bill Maher took a lot of flack for saying things. I think about Sarah Palin's daughter. I think that's what it was. But he made the distinction that he had said it during his stand-up show and not on his HBO show. And I thought it so strange that that wasn't a distinction that made a difference, just given that the HBO show is still a comedy show. I mean, he's not, he's not a, you know, he's not like a anchorman, like a professional journalist. But I mean, whatever that means anymore. Well, that's true. But it's a great question. Like, where are the lines? The people seem to feel like they cross lines at certain points, but... I don't, I don't know where the, where the, the rule book is. I think the line is crossed whenever people feel like it's gotten personal, but you're not attacking sort of their politics. You're attacking some, some aspect of their personal being or personal life. Right. I mean, but isn't Donald Trump attacked every day for like his hair, for his tan, you know, for, I mean, I don't really care. That's not, a, that, that's not like, I mean, you can always punch up, right? That's the point of that. Right. So you, he's a very he, he's a very powerful figure. So everything is sort of up for grabs for him. But also because I think the dynamics of what he's established, everything is up for grabs for him as well as for his own critics. Right. 
So he's opened up a space where that's possible. I, I remember when Obama was elected and people said that that was going to be the death of comedy. You guys remember that? And it was yeah, going to be, the death, of, it was going to be yeah. the death of comedy and it was going to be the death of satire because they just didn't think of Obama as a kind of figure that they could um, comfortably make fun of. Um, that proved not to be the case. They found a way. <laughs> so I don't know. I think I know when people, I feel like someone has crossed the line. I really do. But what, but what is it? Can you define it? Because this is what I'm thinking. I like I it's it. I think it's personal. I think it's a personal attack. It's an attack on, on something that they cannot control. It's an, attack, it's an attack on their family member. Now, unless the family member is participating in the politics, I think that's a fair attack as well. But if it's a family member, like you're attacking their children or you're attacking someone who's not at all participating in that, I feel like that's a line that's been crossed. And I think we've established that whenever... Um, Whenever anyone has done that in some ways, maybe when they made fun of Malia or people really push back on that on, on quote unquote, both sides, if one believes those things exist. So I think personal attacks that are not tied to your politics is a line for some. But, but didn't um, Trump disprove all that? I mean, I was going to say said about Ted Cruz that his father had. You know, but, a part other, of but other people, didn't, but other, but that didn't give other people license to do it. Trump breaks all the rules, but it doesn't mean that everyone follows. Nobody went ahead and continued. Well, to that's do. just unfair, then. I think you're right, Trisha, but that is pretty disgusting. I mean, it, you yeah. know, but nobody, you know, nobody goes off and says, "Well, since the president did it, I'll do it." They, they actually have their own compass about what's appropriate. It's ironic. That it's, I mean, it's interesting that you're asking this question about whether comedy crosses the line because I, I believe, um, you know, um, the White House Correspondents' Dinner has chosen to move from a comedy host. Yes. Um, and I and I wondered about that as well. I thought to myself, huh, I wonder if we're going to move away from this sort of weird satire comedic space that began to occupy with politics from, we blame it on um, The Daily Show, no? What if you blame it on The Daily Show. I blame it on The Daily Show. I squarely blame it on The Daily Show. That was season one podcast. Yeah, merge, the merging of politics and comedy. So I thought, you know, I mean, maybe that's, maybe what we're starting to see is that there people feel really uncomfortable with the comedian in this space now i'm thinking about this darren crenshaw thing in saturday night live so you know he lost his eye in iraq yep and the joke was that you know this guy looks like a bodyguard in a porno movie um because the eye patch and he's very handsome and whatnot that crossed the line everyone was upset well he's a veteran and I was like, yeah, the president of the United States like said about John McCain that he prefers people who weren't captured because McCain was a POW. And I'm like, that feels really personal and really, really nasty. It you was know? judged to be so at the time by many people. That's I true. Think, that was think, universally yeah. condemned. That's it was universe, yeah. And I, I think yes. you have to excise the president out of this conversation. None of the I, rules I know, apply to I know. That just feels really unfair let it go i mean it is unfair but it is what it is you gotta you can't have a conversation if you're using him as your barometer you really can't so (laughs) 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 So i'll set aside other people in regular day-to-day life have discussed what's appropriate and inappropriate and i think there's some general consensus around that the president breaks all of those rules but i guess on the on the view whatever conservative white woman they have on the show now that isn't Megan McCain was frothing at the mouth about Dan Crusher saying that you can't say that about him because he's a veteran. And then Joy Behar said, okay, well, who else is on that list? Like, who else can't we talk about or make jokes about? And she was like, (laughs) I think it's ironic that they care about what veterans think. But anyway, whatever. But, but, Um, But my thing is like, yeah, who else is on that list? So you can't go after veterans. You can't go after people's families. Or their personal sort of effects, right? Yeah. I mean, excess, except for the president who can say that Maxine Waters is a low IQ individual and the rest of it. Other than him. Yeah. Right. You, you can't, you can't, like, we can't make statements like that in public, right? Generally. I mean, and, and that generally there's some backlash about it. It's not that confusing. Yeah, I think that's I mean, right. I don't know if it is. I, see, maybe it's just me. I think it's very confusing because I think a lot of stuff gets said all the time, especially like about Melania Trump and other people who are not necessarily political figures, but are just around political figures. And sometimes it it seems, you know, it's as part of a joke and it's funny. 
And other times I'm like, I was like, oh, I don't know why some things are generally, you know, people get upset and people, all the norms are different now. So that's what everyone needs to know. All the norms are changing, different, different individual. I just think they're just, it's not like, I mean, it's not like this. I feel like it's weird when we say that the norms are not changing for normal people. They haven't. Normal people still conduct themselves as normal folks. The, the norms have changed for one individual only. That's it. That's really it. Like normal people go about their day and they know what, what's to say, what's inappropriate to say and not to say. And you know what? The proof is in the pudding because when some people decide that they're going to say something that the president says, they usually get clapped back pretty quickly. You know, all the, you know, all the people who decide to call the cops on black people for weird things, they usually get sanctioned, sanctioned very fairly sternly, at least publicly, you know, they lose jobs. I mean, so I feel like the assumption that all the norms are are completely thrown out isn't really the case because some of those people do lose their jobs, even if they were to do it. Last thing, then we're going to move on. I want to, I'm going to look this up. Permit Patty and Barbecue Becky and all those other people who are like that Starbucks woman and that lawyer in New York City who was like cursed out two Latino women. I suspect that their lives have gotten back on track. Probably. Why wouldn't it? If not, if not doing better. Like, I think this was something you brought up, Trisha, when we were talking about topics to do on the podcast or one of you talking about like how we are now shouting down racists in real life and punishing them by shaming them. And I had said that, um, I'm not so sure that they're being shamed to a point where their lives are ruined. I don't think that's actually happening. That lawyer who shot at those two Latino women, I bet you he got a job from that. And maybe I'm cynical, but it's just that I don't, I think that there are definitely forces in the world that are not, I'll just say it, that are not good forces. Like someone saw that and was like, this is the kind of guy we need to have an all law firm. He tells it like it is. Well, I think to me, the more important question, and I don't know the answer, and I don't think we'll know the answer for a long time, but it's less like, is that person's life ruined? And it's more, is that does that public shaming reduce the amount of that behavior generally? And again, I don't know the answer to that, but that, that's the question I'm really interested in. Yeah, I mean, I, and I do think that there's something to be said for, I still think you have to present a zero tolerance attitude, regardless of what the long-term impact is. I think that we can, I think some people's behavior are controlled by it. As you say, Jason, somebody would say, you know what? I don't want to be shamed like that. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut. And there's something to be said for that. I'm not all for um, everyone swinging, um, free swinging and saying whatever they want at any point in time. I think that we do, do need to figure out what to say in public and what not to say in public. So I'm all for that public shaming aspect of it. And, and the long-term impact of it, I'm not so certain. But I, I completely agree with you, um, I, Chris, because I sometimes I notice that people, there's a woman that's been on the Twitter, on the Twitter sphere and she's, she's come out in this, um, I'm not even going to give her any real coverage, but she's come out in this way about, you know, we need to stop trying to shame white women, you know, white oh, women, God, good, you know, know that woman. Yeah. yeah. And so what I thought was really interesting is that it seemed to me that this was really an approach taken by her to gain fans, you know, and to gain um, acclaim in some ways, almost as if she was auditioning. Do you know what I mean? So she was auditioning because she feels like there's an environment for her sort of toxic views. So, I mean, I I actually, I think you might be right in the sense that this becomes a space for these people to kind of audition for brands or companies who are okay with this line of thinking or this mm-hmm. approach, you know, mm-hmm. um, maybe there's really a marketplace for it now. And so, you know, so maybe those people's lives are um, not necessarily damaged. I think in the initial offering, it seems like, you know, it's a lot of public attention, a lot of shaming, but you know, yeah, I mean, most people quietly go back to their life, I assume, but you know, sometimes not. You know, like some of the some other people who've been shamed for non-racist things, they've talked about the fact that the social media onslaught has been pretty painful and and debilitating for not just like a month, but for several years up until you know. So those it things. Depend, I, it depends who you are and what it is. Like Rachel Dolezal, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, but like Permit Patty or whatever, like I'm sure she's back to her life. I'm sure everyone was like, oh, whatever, whatever. Like, I, don't know if that, I, I don't know if I'm that sure about that because once some of those people have identified and gotten their names tagged and some people did lose jobs and some people have lost clients. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not so quick to dismiss it as like their life 
bounce quickly back. I mean, there are there is some trauma involved in well, that. Well, you know what? I'm yeah. going to do the research. I'm going to look up all those people, and I'll I'm the next time I record, I will let you know what they're doing. And I bet you you will be shocked by how they just slipped right back into their lives. Let's, I mean, let's have them on. Invite them on. I'd like to talk to them live. <laughs> I've, I have I'm really interested in that. But I mean, I'm not. <laughs> I don't. I'm not invested either way. I'm not invested either way that their lives um, are destroyed because realistically, well, what what does that even look like? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but in some ways, what ends up happening is they get exposed, and people who don't want to socialize with them don't socialize with them. Before we move on, I just want to point out. I think, Chris, the way you say the word "veteran," you say it like someone from Jamaica, and I don't know. I can say that about any other word you say. You say that with a Jamaican accent, and you say "in it." Like a like you're from England. Well, it's very close, isn't it? <laughs> do I do I say how? You, what do you mean, veteran? Wait, veteran? No, that's not how you said it. You said veteran. Yeah. Can we can we roll back the tape? No, I'm kidding. I'll listen to it later. You know, like uh, it took me a long time to realize that uh, Americans say comfortable. What else? Right. As opposed to comfortable. Comfortable. Oh no. You never you never heard anyone say that, Georgia? Comfortable. Well, I say comfortable. No, not comfortable. Comfortable. Oh, well, no. Nobody's doing that. (laughs) (laughs) It's like vegetable. Vegetable? (laughs) Forever to adjust. When I first got here, I was like, ooh, we're not allowed to say batteries. We say batteries in Jamaica. They say batteries here. Mm -hmm. You know what kids used to make fun of me for when I was in elementary school? I don't know. My parents always said, spread up your bed. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. make your bed. Yeah. Spread up your bed. Oh, I've spread never up your heard bed. that. Spread up your bed. I've never heard that. Spread up your bed. Yeah, because and the so, like, thing that covers your bed is a spread. Is the bed spread. So no. I was just like, oh, I go to a friend's house be like, oh, you didn't spread up your bed. And they'd be like, what? You're weird. Kids <laughs> 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 are so dumb. And on that note, kids are so dumb. They are. Um, I mean, we really I mean, were. <laughs> we made fun of kids for the so weirdest bad. thing. Oh, kids are awful. They're so mean. Uh, let me tell you my favorite Trisha memory. Trisha, you know what I'm going to say. One time we were walking down the street and like those people who like save the children <laughs> fund, like, you know, they're standing on the street, like wanting to talk to you about saving the children or giving them money. So this girl comes up to us and she's like, Hi, I'm so and so. Can I talk to you about the children? And Trisha goes, Oh no, I don't give a fuck about those children. <laughs> and the girl's face was like, <gasps> Oh my goodness, Trisha, you should be ashamed she for kept that. Walking. Well, it's so, you know what? It's exactly the reason why they frame it that way. Can we talk about the children? No. Because, you know, they know you can't say that. How dare you say, oh, no, I don't want to talk about your children. So oh, I'm like, I absolutely let, refuse to be emotionally blackmailed like this. No, I don't care about children. Of course I don't. Trisha <laughs> waggled her finger right in her face. No, I don't give a fuck about those children. Just like that. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> ah, it's perfect. It was. I accepted the shame because that's what they wanted. They wanted to shame me into giving. And I was like, I will, I will tell you just right now and then. I don't care about kids. You're so lucky oh, that Lord. was pretty Facebook. You would not work. You would not have the jobs you've had. Yeah, talk about being shamed. Oh my god, I could see the headline: "Angry Black Woman Hates Children." <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm like long-suffering children worker. No, <laughs> that that sounded much more sympathetic. I'm long-suffering ch- children worker. Put that on your resume. That's great. I know there's no appropriate way to say it because I'm not a childcare worker, but I'm someone that cares about the children. (laughs) (laughs) It's not in public (laughs) for for donations. Can I just ask that question too? Like I know that this is a way. This is the way that we're supposed to. um, In in sort of this era of like, as Chris was pointing out, data and information. Who is who's signing petitions in the street anymore? Like people, I see those folks. I'm like, are people legit, legitimately signing these things and giving I you don't information? Know what those things are for? I never. I think I signed one once in my neighborhood for something, 
And yeah. I was uncomfortable because I wanted my name and my address. Yeah. If I was Democrat oh, or Republican. And I was like, I don't know you. And I don't know the person who's going to sign this afterwards, who's going to see all my data, the line above theirs. Like, yeah. I, I don't. And I was like, at the end of the day, like, what do petitions do? I mean, given that they're online now, you know, change.org or whatever. I'm not certain what well, the petition. You, you get them by a certain, if you get, the, if you get them to a certain number range, you can, they can elevate their way to um, having at least a conversation about it. It can become a conversation starter. Right. I mean, sure. I remember, I think during the early part of Obama's presidency, they had signed, they'd gotten enough, num- they'd gotten enough numbers for something to rise to the level of him even being asked about it at a press conference or something. So I mean, but I'm not being asked about, it. about that process. But I always in, the, in this era of like, don't share your data. I've just been passing those people and going, I don't really know if I feel comfortable with that. <laughs> I feel really bad about it. Too. They're like, so do I'm, you live in this neighborhood? I'm like, do I know you? <laughs> I'm not answering that question. It's none of your business. This is why it's just driving people to have headphones in all the time so they can just. Like, <gasps> oh, I'm sorry. People don't I'm on the care. Phone. People don't care. Like, I will have my headphones on, right? And I've got my face on, and I'm like walking to the beat or whatever. <laughs> and like, people were like, "Excuse, sir, excuse, excuse me." And I make a big show, right? Tilt my head, put up, yes, yes, and like indicate the headphone, like yes. Or my favorite is that like people will stop me on the street, and I'll look to my left and I'll look to my right at all the people not wearing headphones, and I'll be like. <laughs> Me? Is it me? Is it me? Because I have to do this now, okay? I have to take this out, okay? Now, can I help you now? Can I help you now? Could you not have had your problem solved by asking anyone else who didn't have to go through this step? I I love that. I like that a lot. It's so extra and excessive. (laughs) That's me. Okay. All right, so moving on, we're going to check in with the the, la- the midterm elections. Uh, what happened? What didn't happen? Trisha, you had some ideas. I was curious because many people in the lead up to the election, there was this real question of like, if all lost, is everything lost if the election doesn't have a blue wave? I had friends who were um, living in this country temporarily, and they said, you know, if if the election turns out a certain way, then um, I might have to start looking for a place to live. I mean, there was a sense of hopelessness if if maybe there wasn't a blue wave. Do you all think that the wave was big enough for there to be a sort of psychological shift in the general populace for those people? Did you did you get that sense? I don't have that sense yet. Um, I don't think it was big enough for people to feel like, okay, there was a complete repudiation and we're, we're turning a corner. Mm-hmm. I do think, depending on how things play out optically and otherwise with the Democrats controlling the House, I do think that could still lead to that feeling. But I don't think it was big enough that automatically people are like, okay, it's a new day. Um, I think it's going to depend on on how things look uh, to be working in Congress. And, and and with Congress, you know, juxtaposed with the president. Well, you know, this is curious, right? Because the assumption was that there was no wave. And I'll, no, I'll just say... Hold on a second. Hold no, a second. because the way it was covered in the mainstream press initially, it was like, there wasn't a wave. But if you look at the numbers, it's in some ways, the, the numbers are sort of drastic. Okay. It's like a radical repudiation in some areas of the country, like Orange I, County, a red... I was thinking the same thing. Like a place, California was a wave. Like there are places where it was. Michigan, the mid, the Midwest. I mean, yeah, some of Wisconsin, those states. Yeah. I think I, I take issue with the way that it was reported. There was clearly a blue wave. Like you look at the map of California, you look yep. at the map of New Jersey and Republicans lost seats. While we're recording, I just got a Google alert that uh, someone else just lost their seat to uh, their seat to a Democrat. It was a blue wave. I think the coverage, I think the coverage was conflating a couple of ideas. One, Democrats were going to take the House. If Democrats didn't take the House, then that would have been news, right? The numbers were way on their side. So that was always going to happen. So I think the people saying there wasn't a blue wave, sort of reacting to that there was some very high profile contests that Democrats lost, specifically Beto in Texas, Andrew Gilman, Florida and Stacey Abrams in Georgia. And those are not 
those were not congressional, uh, those were not House of Representative seats, which is where the blue wave actually happened. They were just really high profile contests and it sucked that we lost them. And I felt the wound in having them be lost too, because I was really rooting for all three of those people. Well, and they also but, all were uphill battles. I mean, they were all, all three of those people were running and very difficult races. Tremendously. Yeah. So in, in those and states, they did tremendously. The, and also contributed to the blue wave, like downstream. Yeah. Right, in terms of yes. how. Yeah, that's absolutely right. They attracted so a lot think, of people to vote. I think there was a, there was absolutely a blue wave. I, I don't I don't know who could resist I don't know who could reject that. If you just look at the maps, if you just look at who got their seats, who lost their seats. I mean it happened. Well, then and let of me course it was gonna that. happen. Let me ask you then that why do you think people why do you think the press wanted to reject the idea of a blue wave? Like that's, that, that was really interesting to me when it was like, it was clear when you look at the numbers that there was a monumental shift. And even just in terms of gender, the fact that there are um, more women in the house than there ever has been ever, Mm -hmm. Um, a more diverse set of people went to Congress, youngest people, younger people of color, you know, a bisexual for the first time, whatever, all of these kinds of um, folks that were sort of representing how the, the country, but there was this kind of like lukewarm characterization of that in the mainstream press. And I just wondered at that approach and what that was about. I think it's the fact that people wanted a full repudiation of Trump and the Trump agenda. Like, like every Republican lost their seat, even ones that weren't even up for vote, like they just <laughs> threw them out. You know, I think that's what I really think it was. I think they were expecting like an entire new day to dawn that's just not how this works. It was a tremendous victory for liberal politics. Tremendous. And I just think them them reporting or under-reporting that is because they're like, well, we wanted, you know, I don't know, we wanted Superman to come down and beat up Donald Trump or something. Well, I, don't, I don't even have that the sense that that was what was going on. I really don't. Really? I, mean, I, get, I get that sense. Because like by the morning after, they were like, there wasn't really a blue wave. And then you look at the numbers and you're like, what are they talking about? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what they expected. They being the, the mainstream media, I'm not sure what they expected from the a, a quote unquote blue wave. I think maybe they had something else in mind, and that's why I was wondering what it was. But I don't think I don't happen to fall into the 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 um the camp that they they wanted a full repudiation because I don't actually think the mainstream press even understands the language of repudiation. I really don't because I think they've embraced the landscape, the current landscape, and and feel fairly comfortable in it. That's my suspicion. I don't know. I think I agree more with Chris on this one. I mean, I, you know, ultimately the media is always about selling, you know, always about getting more subscribers, always about selling more news. And it, I think it, it didn't seem big enough because historically, you know, the, the house does change hands in the first midterm. I, I agree with Chris. I think that people were hoping, you know, against all odds that there'd be some real traction in the Senate and, you know, some of the, those high profile races we just mentioned that, you know, one or two of them would have been um, won by the underdog. And th- I, I feel like there just wasn't that strong of a narrative that different from history for people to feel like, okay, this is really going to sell news. This is like unprecedented, you know, repudiation of a president. It, it wasn't that, even though I agree, it was a very strong night for the Democrats. I feel like it was a, a an opportunity to complicate the the narrative that I just don't think the mainstream media could handle. Because I think if you look at even how um, each of those candidates that were sort of the public front-facing part of the blue wave that didn't succeed, even if you look at how they did comparatively, I think you could you could make a you could make a story around the 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 kind of energy that they brought to their campaign and the newness in it. And so I just I w- I was just really curious about the lack of kind of real color commentary on it, real thoughtful approach. Actually, I'm going to piggyback off of what Jason said. What the way you just described that, Trisha, it's very unsexy. I would not click on that title. I would not buy that newspaper. You know what I would buy if I was expecting a blue wave, and the next morning I woke up and said, "No blue wave." I'd read the shit out of that, and I think that's really what it came down to. It's, but it's I'm, not accurate. I hate to be that cynical, but I think that's what it comes down to. That's news. But it's not accurate. And it's not even like no blue wave. No, you, could have said, you could have said blue wave stops, staunched by, um, halt, no, blue wave halted by voter suppression. That's controversial. <laughs> you could. 
almost too controversial though. You know, I think this is like, this is the thing about news is that it has to hit the sweet spot, right? It has to get everyone to click on the maximum amount of eyeballs. Blue wave, blue wave halted by voter suppression um, only riles up liberals in it. Like say that there was no blue wave actually riles up everyone. Cause I'm going to read that. A conservative is going to read that and be like, yeah, we got them. And the news <laughs> is just inaccurate. Right. But everyone clicked on it. And that's the whole point. Ugh, I hate, no, I hate to say cynical. No, I, I agree. And I, you know, I heard, um, I don't know if you've ever heard, there's this show on NPR. Um, it's been a minute. And last weekend they were, um, one of them, one of the people on commented about how the New York times had a headline. Um, this is a different topic, but I think it, it proves the point. The headline was in North Korea, a great deception. And the argument was, well, you know, there's this think tank that has found that North Korea still hasn't dismantled certain uh, missile sites. And the point of this commentator was there was no deception. North Korea never claimed. They never promised they were going to dismantle all these sites. They didn't even report on all the sites. There was no deception at all. They, yeah, they still have these sites, but that headline gets clicks other other than, you know, it's, it's too complicated to talk about. Well, Trump seemed to present it as they, you know, he seemed to think they were going to dismantle him, but they didn't. It's, I mean, you use the term, Trisha, which I think is right. It's like they didn't seem to complicate it enough. I mean, our, our press, like complexity is not is not a strong suit lately. Mm-mm. We come back to that all the time. Complexity. A little trigger happy, but well, so yeah. I mean, so but but according to Jason, it didn't psychologically see. Chris said there was a blue wave. Jason said there wasn't a big enough wave to psychologically shift people. That's my sense. I mean, I could be wrong, but I I um I still I mean I and to me the big question now is like how are the Democrats going to going to run the House? They're talking a lot about bipartisanship, Ugh. which sounds good. Well, see, <laughs> no, that's the thing. I don't. I don't know that like that's what their base wants, and I don't think their base wants that either. <laughs> and, and you know, there are people saying, "Well, they should do what the Republicans do." You know, with when the Republicans, well, however many times, scores of times, they voted to repeal, you know, the Affordable Care Act, even when they knew that was never going to happen. People are saying the Democrats should just do the same thing. They should just keep putting liberal bills forward and pass them, you know, in their chamber, even though they will go nowhere. And I don't, I don't even know what to what to want there because I, I get that point, but it's also really frustrating. I mean, I thought it was ridiculous that the Republicans did that. Although some people claim like that's how they were able to win the presidential elections. I, I really don't know what to expect. I don't even know what to want. Like it's such a Who crazy going to be the adult in the room. If that, if that starts happening, it sucks because Democrats always have to be the adult, right? The Republicans are just like Nazis. Ah! And the, the Democrats have to be like now, now. And, it's it's why it's why the Democrats always look so bad. It's like Obama said, Michelle Obama said, when they go low, we go high because there's nowhere else to go. If the Democrats also go low, then what are we doing? We're all in the mud. Well, I don't think it. First of all, the assumption is that there's a low to go. I don't think so. I think what you can do, though, if even if you're going to put for a liberal policy that goes nowhere, at least it gives people an indication of what matters to you. And then it has an opportunity to generate enthusiasm f- from others who did not have a chance to participate in the election, but maybe becomes convinced that if this is for real, then let's make sure you get the Senate. So I'm just, it seems to me that there is some value to that approach, to actually saying, well, these are the things that we really believe in. And if they don't go far enough, and if we don't get the votes, then at least we're letting you know what we care about. And maybe in contrast, that's exactly what the Republicans have done and have um, excited their base. No, I think I think that is what they did. I, I, again, I don't I don't have a position here. It's I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Want, but but I think it's it's interesting because what it's doing, what the Republicans did, and what that would be doing if the Democrats do it, it's really using you know the legislative process to win future elections as opposed exactly. as opposed to governing. Which again, I'm trying to be objective about it. It's 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 interesting. I don't know where it leaves us, but um, it worked for the Republicans to win elections and maybe it'll work for Democrats. If you cannot govern and if the process is stalled in such a way, then what else, what is, what is your other option? Is your other option to simply compromise for the sake of compromise and then end up with something that you don't actually want? Or is it best to let people really see what you want, see the fact that you fail to get it because the numbers don't come out. And then people say, well, let's make sure they have the numbers the next time around. I mean, is that, well, what's the value of that? Well, let me, I mean, 
this is it's so fascinating. It's so similar to the conversations that were happening when the Republicans took the House, and it was like you know some of them were like we just don't want Obama to win again. So I mean, the thing is, Trisha. I mean, one could say, well, they should work with the president to get an infrastructure bill done, and to get a bill done that both the president and the Republicans will sign on to, it's not going to be nearly what the Democrats would want, but they could get a couple things done. And then I think the opposing argument is it's similar to what you were saying. Like, it's not worth it. Like to get the few things and then you're handing the president a victory, it's better to get nothing done, but make a strong statement so that you win the next election. Well, I mean, and it's interesting because I was, you know, I was, uh, something came across my timeline and it was a, um, it was an interaction or a conversation with Tennessee Coates and Tennessee Coates is talking about like the GI bill. And he was saying all the successes of the GI bill only worked for um, white men. And, but you think about how positive, pe- positively people think about the GI bill, not mm-hmm. recognizing that it wasn't, uh, it didn't have an equal impact on a lot of um, men of color, right? In some ways, if you think about, let's work with the president to ensure that he has some success. If the success comes at the cost of others, that's not a success you want to put your name on, right? That's not something you want to stamp. Mm-hmm. Because the narrative in for the future will be that both parties on some level agree to this. And, I'm, and you know, it's not to say that I don't believe in compromise, but I, I, I do think that we have to, I do think people have to decide where those lines are. And, um, and is it worth it for some groups to succeed at the cost of others? Yeah, but let's face it. I mean, both parties have been complicit in... It doesn't matter whether they're complicit. I think if you have a group of people who have, I mean, many people took pretty strong stances in order to win in this in this election. And if you went there and your position was to then settle into a compromise, that really goes against many of the things that you ran on. I think well, that that is that creates a sort of cynical, a cynicism in the public again. That's a good and, point. I think the first test of that is going to be whether they elect Pelosi because- they say that just by the numbers, if you take all the people who ran saying they weren't going to support her, she doesn't have enough support. Neither does anyone else. But that'll be the first that's going to be the first test of whether people are going to go back on things they said during the election. Well, I'm really curious about the Pelosi thing anyway. That feels like a real that feels like a bizarre and strange Republican-esque long game because the people who launched the campaign against Pelosi were Republicans. And so it feels to me as if. I mean, people just have to be very careful, right? I, I mean, the question of, um, I know the person that they were putting forward as a competitor for her just came back out and said they, she supports Pelosi. So I don't know. I, don't, I mean, I think it's, um, it's, an interesting, um, it's an interesting battle. I, don't, I, I didn't realize that many people ran on the idea of not supporting Pelosi. I didn't know that those, those were explicit claims in their campaigns. But if that is the case, maybe there will be an assumption that it's business as usual. I just think that there has to be an opportunity for Democrats to define the terms of engagement for themselves and to let their I feel like you've said that before. That. I, that's a, I think it's well said. I totally agree with that. I mean, it's a scary thing, but I, I, I feel like the time is ripe for it, right? I mean, I think if you look at Obama's presidency and the, the sort of tone that he set, it was very much about compromise. And I think now people recognize, and many people, if you look at them, they said he didn't go far enough or the people who, you know, didn't go far enough in establishing, not that he was extremely left or anything like that, but maybe some, uh, maybe some more liberal policies would have given, given us some protection during this time where things are really being pushed to the right, right? So I don't know. I, it's a really difficult time. I don't know. I mean, you know, it feels like our conversations with, uh, with you, Jason, it's like the compromise point, right? It's like this question of like, do we compromise? Where do you compromise? And who do you compromise with? Well, if we're talking about compromise, we'd start this whole section talking about bipartisan stuff. And I got the sense from you two, you're like, oh boy. And it's like, isn't that compromise? Like, <laughs> But what's bipartisan in a universe with these, with, with, with the types of people that we've heard um, um, on the Republican side? Oh, I'm with you. But then what I mean, is I'm compromise? just curious. But that's what I mean. Like, I don't know. Like, what are, what are sort of the... I'm not sure we've ever had a conversation about what that decision point is because people have been talking in such extreme terms, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'd like to see what is a compromisable midway point here. I don't want to compromise with Nazis. I don't think 
some of the stuff, and I know that's that is a broad characterization. That's a broad characterization. Remember, because we just had a conversation about that, where I yeah. think you that's know, a broad characterization down on the side of like villains everywhere. But <laughs> yeah. I, I do think there. I hope that there is an age of politics coming where people can sit down at a table and figure out a way forward because like you two referenced earlier doing nothing and then waiting to your guys in the office before you can get to work. I just don't feel like that is effective. Like the government should not be off for four to eight years until you can get your guy in. There's gotta be another way to do that. And I think now the rhetoric has been ratcheted up to the point where it's like Nazis on this side, communists on that side, you know? And so the compromise between those two points sounds terrible. There's 2% of Nazis on one side and 2% of communists on the other side. It's not 50, 50, you know, it's at the end of of both ends of that bell curve. I feel like we need a moment where compromise isn't a bad word. I don't even love the word compromise, but I, I just think that there, we can't open discussions about certain things. Well, you know, I think I think it's worth recognizing there are a few, maybe more than a few, but a few that I can think of bipartisan things that have happened under under the president. One that comes to mind it were the sanctions on Russia. And those were interesting because the president publicly opposed them, but he signed the bill. And both parties were very much on board for that after the whole attempted poisoning and all that. The other thing, and this is what is frustrating to me. The other compromise, or when they did this multiple times, was on spending bills. And basically, you know, the Republicans insisted on lowering taxes for certain people, which cut revenue. The Democrats insisted on keeping domestic spending up. The president insisted on keeping uh, military spending up or boosting it. And so on the one hand, that was bipartisanship, and they, they did that multiple times. On the other, our deficit and our debt just keep skyrocketing because mm-hmm. they, they can agree to spend money, and they can agree to cut taxes. It's not, it's not sustainable, but that's something they can agree on. To your point, infrastructure is uh, generally a passive word, right? <laughs> Who can disagree with infrastructure? Um, the means by which, um, you know, infrastructure changes, maybe that's where the, dif- the distinctions will be. I don't know. It's very difficult. It's a, um, it's, I think, I feel like this is a difficult time, but I'm willing to see this blue house put some bills out there that they think are doable. Not, maybe not even doable, but at least gives the, gives the public a sense of where they stand. I just hope they do a little bit of both, meaning they try to get real stuff done. I, I totally agree. I think there's value in putting stuff out there to signal what they're after. Yeah. I just hope it's not just that where every day they're going to vote on a bill that they know has no <laughs> It's going to go nowhere. <laughs> which is what the Republicans did. Or maybe you vote on a bill and, that, and, and you, you're surprised to get a few yeses from the other side. <laughs> Good you know, luck. because because that's always a presumption, right? You know, because you could put something forward for someone who comes from a community that passionately cares about this, right? And in this one occasion, they're going to have to shift their vote to yes. There could be moments where those those kinds of things happen. That's a good point. They could do it on some healthcare issues. I mean, yeah. like pre-existing conditions. That has become, at least in the populace, that's a bipartisan, bipartisan issue. Bipartisan. So if yeah. they put protections in... They would. That's a good point. They could. They could get some Republican votes for that. Get what on it, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. Do it. What I do you think, Chris? No, I'm agreeing with you. But what did you say about Ocasio? Yeah, I couldn't hear. I what said you. she should get on it. Does yeah. she have the power to do that? She should <laughs> run for speaker. She has as much power as anybody else in the house. She can introduce bills. She can get that going. Well, she's already introduced one. She wants Columbus Day to be a hot to reverse that holiday and make Election Day a holiday. Do you have to if you give up one holiday, you you've got to trade it for another, I guess, huh? You can't just add another holiday. Of course you can. I mean, we added all these holidays. Of course you can add. Well, I don't know. I mean, there's revenue generation to consider, right? Because some some places close on a holiday. Because she was criticized by the right by saying, oh, she's not even in the job yet. And she's already angling for more days off. And that's when she said, okay. She said, okay, if that's your issue, if we need to lose a holiday, how about, mm, I don't know, genocide and rape day? Why doesn't that, be, why don't we lose that? I'm all for, for that idea. Election day should be a day off. And yeah, and we then people are like, on this day. then someone else had tweeted, like, she just torpedoed all her italian constituents i was like where are her italian constituents in the bronx and astoria queens first of all <laughs> second of all are 
Italians still claiming Columbus Day? Does I anyone remember that is. Columbus was Italian? The answer to that is that? yes. Yeah. Really? Actually, is that is that a strong? I'm Hello, curious. The Knights of Columbus. The Knights of Columbus. That is like the Italian fraternity. Oh, that's, and is are they strongly in support of it? Is that? I don't, is that I don't know whether movie? people our age are, but I, I brought that up as Knights of Columbus. What a vaguely threatening organization name. <laughs> You're horrible. I don't know. If that, I don't know if it's threatening at all, but I just, the I Knights mean, of I, Columbus. Well, I just think it's interesting that there might be someone who's got a stake in Columbus Day. I didn't know there would be such a thing. So, but then I mean, if there if there are people who have a stake in Indigenous Day Peoples Day, I suppose so. But I'm yeah, Indigenous peoples. Like the I mean, I know, indigenous- but I, I thought I thought we had I thought we had done enough re-educating that Columbus Day was somewhat. <laughs> But who knows? Well, you know what? Some people are okay with yeah. what Columbus did, to be honest. I mean, well, some people I mean, are. You know, the far right, they're okay with it. They don't use the words like genocide and rape, but they're just like, oh, well, you know, he was an explorer. Well, listen, and that's if, a- if Columbus didn't happen, we might not have iPhones, right? That's a that's the trajectory we're going Oh, with. come on. What the fuck does that mean? What? This, this is, these, are, these are the kinds of things. These are, this, this is a line. Look, that without... Without the Birth of a Nation movie, the Clan movie, we wouldn't have close-ups in movies. Exactly. See? These are the... <laughs> nope. And, and on that note, let's move on to recommendations, which is something that you've seen, heard, read, or experienced that you think other people should see, hear, read, or experience. Jason, what do you have? <laughs> oh, man, I forgot to think about this. But what I, what I will... <laughs> I will say this. Get ready, America. I will say this. I have been reading. I, I recently finished a biography of Alexander the Great, and I am now reading a book about Sparta. And I have to say, it's what the it's, hell is going on here, Jason? What's going on? <laughs> you know, it's been really interesting. Like, I there's just a lot I didn't know, and Alexander, the way he looked at Persia, and you know, I just feel like the way I learned history and quote world civilizations unquote growing up is there's just like so much that was left out um i i don't know i i've really enjoyed it i found it enlightening trisha so i was on um a long international flight and um and passed the time watching a couple documentaries which i um found really thrilling so i'm going to recommend two of them I did not follow her when she was alive, Um, didn't particularly care about her career per se, but I found the documentary about her really interesting, the Amy Winehouse documentary. What I liked about it was that her career was really short. It's a short period of time. And so what's fascinating about it is that it was also a period in time when people were kind of recognizing that fame was a thing. And so at the beginning of her career, the person who sought to manage her had lots of video footage because he was he was presuming not that she would necessarily become a star, but that he could make her a hit of some sort. So he was sort of capturing footage in a self-conscious way. So it's fascinating to sort of see who she was and see where she be, where she ended up, because you just it's it's weird. It's like you're watching home videos. And then she does become the star that she never thought she would become. And then to watch that that peak and and fall, whew, really, really, really interesting. Um, whew, cautionary episode? tale about parenting. Whew, mm, parents do not live to your children. Um, every time I say something about the document, the Amy Winehouse documentary, everybody looks and says the father. Right? <laughs> I think to myself, gosh, who wants to have that reaction? Right. It's so clear the father was um, a challenging figure in her life. Um, and then the second one was um, Alexander McQueen. Now, I see, I've seen Alexander McQueen's designs. And weirdly enough, because of the nature of his design, the structure, the sort of uh, high art of it, I assumed that he was a certain kind of figure or a certain kind of person, which is to say sort of um, old and stodgy and kind of rich. And he was not that. He was like some like punk from like the low class British culture. And so to see his documentary was really fascinating. It was really fascinating to watch his story. And again, another person who died extremely young. So just two people whose lives I just would never have necessarily even really care that much about, but, you know, trapped on a flight. I have found both both documentaries really riveting. So I would recommend I don't know if that's a great recommendation because you said I was trapped 
on a flight. <laughs> well, I was trapped and, on a flight because you know if I if I popped one in, my general disinterest in them might have might have superseded my interest in it. But I sat there and watched it and was actually pleasant because you had no choice. By their story, I had no choice, yeah. but and and it was good that I had no choice because it forced me to pay attention and care. You know, sometimes that happens. You know, <laughs> sounds I like care. Stockholm syndrome. I like, know. You know. I don't know no, if you're I recommending care. it or you're recommending that people endure it. No, no, no. You know, you know my personality. I can I can turn off something very quickly. Mm. And so, you know, I can decide I don't like something really quickly. And sometimes I miss things because of that. But I'm really happy that I didn't have an opportunity to turn these two things off because I think I gained a lot from watching it. Um, I appreciate your candor about that. I feel like the next time you disagree with me, I'm going to be like, I think you're just dismissing this, Trisha. You just need to step back and think about it. You may enjoy it just like those documentaries. If you haven't figured that out about me uh, yet, you loves to be contrary. I don't love to be contrary. I'm just, I think I'm just super dismissive. And sometimes I can give things a chance. And contrary. Ah, fine. <laughs> you just love if everyone in the room being like blue, blue, you'll be like, or green, or green. Ah, there's a part of me sometimes that gets like that. Yes, You're right. Very. I am going to recommend the show Titans. Titans is the newest entry into the DC Comics real live action universe. But the Mm -hmm. difference between Titans and, say, Flash and Arrow and Supergirl is that Titans is super gritty and it is absolutely not for children. Um, (laughs) Titans tells the story, um, the, the Teen Titans story, which was popularized in the 70s, which answers the question, what happens when Robin grows up? Um, he becomes Nightwing. He gets a whole bunch of other young heroes together and they fight crime. Um, and it's pitched in this very dark um, DC universe. Batman does exist, obviously, because Ro- Dick Grayson is Robin, or at least he's a grown-up Robin. And they are fighting crime and trying to fight bad guys. And the gore is extraordinary. Like, I have to look away from the screen because the fight scenes... Like Robin like crashes some dude's face into a wall and drags it, leaving a bloody like like he's not fucking around, you know. And there's cursing and sex, and it's it's well done. I wanted to hate the show because I hate what DC has done to their characters in their live action movies, but this I found really compelling. I I don't know if I brought this up on this podcast, but uh, one of the characters on the show is named Starfire, and Starfire in the comics is an orange-skinned alien from the planet Tamarian. And they got the actress who's playing it is, um, she's a black woman um, named Anna Diop. She's African, forgive me, I don't remember which country that she's from. Uh, She's gorgeous. She's beautiful. But of course, the fans online, they're like, how can you get a black woman to play Starfire? You know, and other people were like, Starfire is an alien who's orange-skinned. So <laughs> what difference? It's just that, well, she doesn't look like Starfire. No one looks like Starfire. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's like everyone else. Like, she had to cancel all of her social media because people were just being really terrible. But um, part of my recommendation is her. Her interpretation of that character and just what she's doing on screen is really entertaining to watch. And she kicks ass. And the show's good. It may not be your thing, but if even if you don't like comic books, like I know Trisha, comic books aren't your thing, uh, you might find the story interesting. So, uh, see Titans. Uh, all I have to say is that's that. What are you guys up to for the rest of the night? Sleep. Sleep, exactly. <laughs> Although, Trisha, it's 7.30 there. Listen, sleep. Because it's actually 3 a.m. in uh, British time. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Trisha just flew in from London, and boy, are her arms tired. <laughs> Have you slept at all? I did. I slept, you know, like a, I, I went to bed at like 8 yesterday and woke up this morning at 4 a.m. Wow. Okay. okay. Jet right? lag, what a bitch. It really does. Kick. But I, I think you're supposed to try to stay up as late as you possibly can, but I just could not manage it. I don't know how you do a London to LA flight. That feels like that's awful. That's terrible. Can I tell you that I did a London to LA flight and then went to see Hamilton and did not sleep at all throughout the whole bang. That's that's stupid. I went from New York to London, saw Les Mis, slept through the entire thing. (laughs) 
missed the whole thing. It oh, you know terrible. what? You have no interest in Hamilton, but I have to say the British crew brings it. I maybe if you've never seen the Spice Girls, you could see it. Uh, news alert. I will be they're, seeing the Spice Girls. They're going on tour, right? Yes. <laughs> I'm on tour. I'm seeing them in six different shows. I Let me tell you, listen up, America. We need girl power more than ever. And, we're, and I'm going to get it. All of it. June 2019. Um, America's so getting no power through becoming, honey. Sorry. <laughs> oh my God. I want to. Can we all read? Can we have an outrageous book club? Read Becoming and then talk about it? Yeah, I have my copy right here. Fine. And I will borrow it from you. When you come, yeah. Come out and see you. Okay. So on that note, everyone, enjoy yourselves and read Becoming and uh, talk to you soon. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.